I want us to take that out of the praise and worship that, 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 that God is restoring things, restoring you. What is your name? The Lord just shows me you frustrated. That there are dreams that you've just put away that you just thought, it's too late. I'm, I'm, I'm trapped. And God is saying to you, I'm awakening your dreams again. I am taking you overseas. I'm taking you to places to minister. The things that you had a dream back before when you were just young, God is saying to you, it's not over. That ministry you call, you're called to have then, you're still called to have. So I bless you in Jesus' name with a release from the chains that have been binding you, cooping you up. You are free. Free to go to your destiny in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That God opens doors for you. That money is not the, the determining factor. God's plan is, I bless you, Bunny, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, grace, grace, grace. Grace be to you in Jesus' name. Yes, Jesus. I just want to give a few other prophetic words right now. I just feel in my spirit that, that um, there's things that God wants to say. You knew I was going to come to you anyway. I'm seeing you on the ground floor of something and it's just all new and it just seems so intimidating. You're just wondering, is this the right decision or not? And God is saying, keep going. You're going to go up this staircase and you'll be great. The confidence will come. The, the knowledge will come. The experience will come. This is a, the learning curve and you have to, you have to embrace it. You're on the right path. You're on. You're doing the right thing. Go forward with confidence and bravery. Amen. I also want to have a word for your mom. And just again, also just that you feel like nothing you do is being recognized. Nothing you do is, is that you're not getting to that next level, and you're frustrated, just wondering. How long, how long, how long, oh Lord, is, is it going to take before things start really happening? And God is saying to you, keep going, keep going. You will get there. God's calling is on your life. The ministry of God is inside of you. It is working. It is making a difference. Don't look at numbers. Allow God to take care of that. You just keep going, doing what you're doing because you are called and you are doing what God wants you to do. Amen. Praise the Lord. What is your name? Zander, I see you with like a, like you grab something as a shield because it's like there's these things raining on your head and you're like, man, it's just been too much. And it's like, when is this going to stop? It's coming from every direction. How can I survive? And God is saying to you, I have called you to get tough. I've called you to get strong. I've called you to get courageous and to get bold and to get fierce. And all of these things are bringing out that warrior of faith in you. Nothing that has happened to you is actually going to destroy you, is going to make you stronger. 
Stop asking God to take it away and start manning up to say, in Jesus' name, I will succeed. I will, I will be victorious. I will be a conqueror because that's what God has called you to be. That there's no opposition, no attack that is too strong, that, is, that, that, can, that can destroy you, that can set you back, that can take you out, that, that you will face every giant. You are called to be a David alone with a sling in front of a Goliath and saying, no, in Jesus' name, I command you to go down. I'm not going down. And that, that, that resilience, that endurance, all of that is being formed now. And, the, and in the time to come, there will not ever be any trial as tough as this one now is. So, there, so whatever you're learning now, know that, okay, if I can survive this, I can survive anything. And you're learning that, and hang, hang on to that word. You are called to be a vessel of God's joy, and that's been attacked in you from people who want to say, if you're smiling, it's because you just don't know what's going on. You, 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 know, you don't really understand the whole picture. You, you should, People want to attack the optimist. They want to attack the, the positive person. You're called to be that person that just rises to the top and, 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 and is buoyant. And you must keep that because other people are going to gain strength from you. Other people need to see your example. Other people need to see you as the one that can say, okay, there's still hope. There's still, there's still the capacity for joy. And so even in the flood, you're still on the top of the water. So I bless your ministry of joy, 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 joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. Praise God. What is your name? Penel, I saw you outside, and the Lord just said to me, there's something that has been taken away from you. You've suffered a, 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 a terrible, in, unjust loss. And so I bless you in Jesus' name that you don't just, you know, uh, put a bandage over it, that you, just, that you just get hard, but that you are restored. I bless you in Jesus' name with the presence of the Lord for restoration. In Jesus' name. That you have a cocoon of love around you that just makes all the difference. In Jesus' name. Praise God. One more. In your life, I see emotion being positive and negative. You know how to experience the sweetness of the presence of God, and yet there's also this raw emotion that can just be so hurt and so... Sometimes you can just love God and sometimes you can be so frustrated with God at the same time. And it's all pure and it's all honest and it's all just somehow you working out exactly who Jesus is and, and your relationship with him. So I just want to bless you in Jesus' name that God guides you to the, to the right balance, that you don't have a hurting relationship, but that you have a healing relationship. 
because God has called you to bring, to be healed and to bring healing to others. You understand the, the heart of God in worship. You understand how to touch God's presence. May that cause you to bring healing to those who need it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a hand. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You can have a seat. Praise the Lord. Mm. It's important for us to know God is with us. God is around us. And even though I'm going to talk about something right now, this is not my sermon, okay? <laughs> In the 23rd Psalm, it starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, right? We like that part. I shall not want. I have no needs. You got grass. You got water. To emphasize the point, it says, he restores my soul. But if you haven't figured this out by now, hear me. In the 23rd Psalm, he does not leave you in the pasture. For his name's sake, I follow my shepherd on a path of righteousness. And the path of righteousness has no grass and it has no water. It's dry, it's dusty, it's stony, it's hot, it's tiring. And guess where it leads? To the valley of the shadow of death. You would think if God was your shepherd, you would not even be in the valley of shadow of death. And you're finding yourself in that valley of the shadow of death, and you're confused and say, how come I'm here? How did I get here if God is my shepherd? Because God leads us there, and if you do it right, you fear no evil because you know he's with you. The valley of the shadow of death is not God abandoning you, it's part of the path of righteousness. And there is an end to the valley, and there is a table that, that has abundance, and there is honor in the presence of your enemies. All of that is there too. But you have to stay with your shepherd. Amen. Amen. Zulika, go ahead and, and, and put on the, the PowerPoint. I'm talking tonight about seeking the bridegroom. And for this, I want to take you on a journey in a, a, a small part of the Song of Solomon. Now, the Song of Solomon is one of those books in the Bible that people are confused. Why is it even in the Bible? And it has all this sensual stuff, and it's just like, okay, so we, we try to spiritualize it, which is what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to overly spiritualize these things. It's actually a real love song between a man and a woman, and it really is supposed to be taken at face value on so many levels. It is really, really cool love poetry. It's beautiful as poetry. It's one of the things I love about Hebrew is that, that the glory of Hebrew is, is poetry. And by the way, here's a little advertisement. Starting in the, uh, the uh, 10th of October, we're going to be starting a Hebrew course in Brumaria at Levin Devort there. I'm going to be leading. That's Monday nights from 7 o'clock. Uh, so if you have any desire to know some Hebrew and to be able to worship God in Hebrew, that's the place to be. Monday's at 7 o'clock. Anyway, for the fourth term only. Now here's the thing. 
there's a part of this, this, um, this book where each of the characters sings a song or tells something that's going on, and I'm going to give you part right now. Starting in verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. The bridegroom calls to us to open the door. I want us to see this. This is the beloved. The bridegroom is coming to the Shulamit. He's coming to us. We are the woman. He is the man. He is the beloved. He's the one we love. And he's calling to us to open the door. Notice he says, I slept, but my heart was awake. This is a dream sequence. And in this dream, she, she hears her beloved calling. Open to me. This reminds us, of course, of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let's think about this, okay? You, if you're unsaved, see it as you getting saved, okay? I'm just going to draw that connection. But I think most people here already are saved. And the issue is this. Even if you know Jesus, sometimes you need to reconnect. Sometimes you realize, hey, actually, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I was, years ago, a camp counselor at a children's camp, and I already had a master's degree in Hebrew, and I was doing ministry, and I was just thinking I was pretty close to Jesus, you know. And we had this one camp for kids that were completely unchurched. They were just completely from the other side of the tracks. And so the, the first night, there was an evangelist, and he just preached about hell, and they didn't want to go there. So when he gave the altar call, they all came forward. All of them. And he says, we're going to take these kids down to the lake, and we're going to baptize them tonight. So we went to the cabins, everybody puts their swimming costume on, and we trudge down to the lake, and he's in the water, and he's baptizing them, dunking them in the water. They don't know what baptism is. They know it's just fun to be dunked in the water. So when they get dunked, they go to the back of the queue to get dunked. This is cool, do it again, you know. And we're like you, all the counselors, we're on the side, and we're just kind of say, oh, you know, in this queue. Except for one girl, Jennifer. She's on the dock, weeping. What's wrong with her? No one knows. Pastor Chuck, go and deal with this. I'm a minister. So I said, Jennifer, what's wrong? And I will never forget her words. As she looks at this scene, she says, I don't want these kids to hurt my Jesus. We didn't come here to go swimming. And the way she said, my Jesus, just kind of, stunned me. I, 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 never, I never ever said, my Jesus. My Jesus was at the right end of the Father, interceding for you and me, whatever that means. 
Whatever it means, it must mean he's busy anyway. He's just doing something important up there, praying, I guess. I don't know. He just, you know. Jesus was distant, actually, for me. Even though I loved him, even though I knew what he did for me, her connection with Jesus was intimate. And I was dumbstruck by that realization that this woman who had only known Jesus for a couple of years knew him much more than I did, who'd grown up in church, grown up with ministry. And I decided to go on a search for Jesus and to be able to, 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 to know him. And that really is what has led me into the prophetic ministry more than anything else. We need to know him and we need to have fellowship with him. And if there isn't a sweetness in the relationship, that must come. And here's the point. It's not him that moved. You've heard the story about the, the man and the woman in the car together. And they're at the, the robot and the, the woman says, the magic is gone. Do you remember the days when we were dating before we got married? I used to snuggle right close to you on the front seat. And when we were at a robot, we would kiss. Now you're on this side, I'm on that side. And he looks at her and he says, well, I'm still in the same place. I didn't move. <laughs> Jesus is saying he hasn't moved. We're the ones that shifted. A sound, my beloved is knocking. We long to hear the voice of the beloved. The word sound in Hebrew is kol. It says kol dodi, the, the, the voice of my beloved. Or really, it, the voice of my beloved knocking is really what it says in Hebrew. And it's important to see this because there's a, that, that's a, an important verse in the, in the book in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. I sing a song to myself mostly because it's in Hebrew. Um, behold, he comes, behold, he comes. And there was a time in my life recently where that just was so meaningful. I was uh, caught up in the, the events of 2014 in Leven where there was just all kinds of retrenchments happening. And, and so I was one, I got retrenched. And it just seemed like, okay, what's going to happen? My wife is upset and she said, okay, we're going to have to sell the house now. And, and, and what are we going to do? And, and, um, where are we going to go and, and what's going to happen? And I just remember just feeling just so alone and feeling so abandoned. And I remember I was so tense I couldn't sleep that night. I had pain in my shoulders. And I just got up and I just started singing this song because I said, I want to hear the voice of Jesus. I need your voice. I need to hear your sound. I need to know you're at the door knocking. I need to know you. I need to be with you. And he came, and it just, and I was in tears, seriously. And I just, I just cuddled in his presence. That must be available to us when we go through these hard times. That we don't serve a God who's distant, who's abandoned us, 
but he's with us and that we can feel his presence. This section can be divided into two parts. This is a cool thing. Look at this. The first part is the bridegroom searching for the bride and it's characterized by the use of the verb to open. Okay? So he says that she needs to open to him. But then the second part is the bride searching for the bridegroom and is characterized by the verb to find. Okay? So take note of that as you see the word open and find in the first half and in the second half like this. He says, open to me, my dove, my perfect one. By the way, you want to know what the word perfect one in Hebrew is? You're going to love this. Tamati. You want to be Jesus' Tamati? Oh, shame, mate, Tamati. My wife is my fleshpasteki. Oh, shame. She says, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? She is riddled with indecision. She needs to get past these conflicting thoughts. And here's the point. Jesus comes to us, and he calls us to open, and somehow we keep thinking of other stuff we have to do. We keep thinking of the inconvenience of spending time with Jesus. You know what I mean. He's calling on you to get up early and to spend time with him, and you're thinking about all the things you have to do in your day. You know you must spend time with him. You know you need to spend time with him, but the thoughts of all these other considerations, which frankly seem petty in retrospect, overcome what should be an instant reaction. You would think if this woman was in love, she would be flying to the door, ripping it open, and embracing him. Instead, she's thinking about her feet. Eh, I already bathed my feet. And you're thinking, what kind of love is that? What kind of reaction is that for someone who is deeply in love? I already took off my garment. I have to put it on again. And, then. and this is what happens to us. And this indecisiveness is going to cost her. It costs you and me. It makes a difference that we have to then pay for. Notice this. My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. Now, when it says it put, he put his hand to the, to the latch, what it says in Hebrew is he sent his hand through the hole in the door. It's like he's trying to open it from the inside. She's not opening it. He's trying to open it himself. And it's like there's a thrill I want you to understand that thrill again of seeing, even just as I give prophetic words to a few people, you say, oh, that is so cool. Let God do that to me. Chuck, over here. Pick me, pick me. And you feel this, this sense of, 
It could be anybody. Uh, Chuck could give a word to, to anybody, and it could be anything. Yes. We had a prophetic guy, Andre Bronkhorst, at, at uh, Brumaria the other day, and I was leading the, the, uh, the service, and he asked me, Chuck, who would you like me to give a word to? Pick anyone. And I know there were people who were angry with the one I picked because they thought, oh, man, come on, Chuck. I thought we were buddies, you know. You should have picked me, you know. And he's prophesying over people that they're going to get wives or husbands. Oh, man, pick me, pick me. The point is this. It's thrilling. It's exciting when God is moving. And, and a hope starts to be ignited in you that if God would do that for her, if God would do that for him, he could do that for me. He could touch me. The way he touched that person, he could touch me. But notice this. Jesus wants us, and that knowledge is powerful. It's life-changing to know that Jesus wants to touch you. Wants to touch us. See, this is supposed to be the difference between the, the charismatic and the non-charismatic world. That we, we I, I believe, I'm going to just say this straight out, every Levin divorce in the country should be a visible place of God's presence. That people see signs and wonders, that they get prophetic word, that, that openly charismatic ministry takes place, that it's not flesh, it's not put on, that it's genuine, it's pure, it's real, it's life-changing. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to experience. That's the kind of ministry I like being associated with. Because when you know it's real, when you know it can happen, then you feel hope. You feel strength. But in verse 5 it says, I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. Now it's a little bit difficult to know is it her bringing this myrrh on her fingers or did she feel it on the bolt? I'm going to suggest to you that this beloved leaves the, the oil behind, that, he, that, that something of Jesus' presence is there and she feels it and she's like, okay, the, it's real. It wasn't just my imagination. We experience the presence of Jesus, the anointed one. That makes all the difference. And we want to open to this one. We want that anointing. We get a taste. Raise your hand if you are feeling really, really dry right now. And you just need a touch of Jesus. Anybody? Come here. He's about to touch you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Grace, grace, grace. Grace. In Jesus' name. 
all of that dryness, all of that, that, that worn out feeling in Jesus' name, let it just come under the presence of Jesus. In Jesus' name, grace, grace, grace. Soak up all of the hurt, all of that battle, all of that striving in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name that you feel the peace, and you feel the love. Healing, 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 healing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Grace. Grace. Amen. Did you feel something? Yeah. Amen. This is what I want to tell you. It's real. I don't want pretend anointing anymore. I want to feel something. And I'm going to tell you, most of you who've ever heard me in the Fremach and Devar here, you know, Alita asks me every term to, to come and teach on bitterheit. You will never find a less bitter person than me. I've never, I've never really struggled with bitterness. But it's not because of a bitterness story in my life that I'm invited to speak. It's because I have a grace story. Because there was a time when we lost a baby. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but just that I felt the presence of God just come into that room and I know that I know that I know that there's a loving God in the middle of all those problems I experienced God's love that's why when I was going through another problem I expected to feel God's presence and I did I want people to feel something I want people to experience the anointing. I'm tired of altar calls where people make other people feel guilty about sin in their life, and then they sort of manipulate them to the front. And then I say, okay, raise your hand, repeat after me. Okay, um, dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And, and, and they say, okay, now you're saved. I now pronounce you saved, born again. I don't feel any different. Because you're not different. No sinner's prayer ever saved anyone unless there was faith in the heart of the person that was praying. A manipulated sinner's prayer doesn't save someone. Now, I'm not against altar calls. I'm, I'm in favor of them. But I want that person who comes forward to feel something life-changing take place. And I don't want them to leave the altar until something has happened. They can say, I don't know what happened, but something happened. I felt something take place. I'm a big believer in people experiencing the anointing of Jesus because it is real. It's not just words. It's not just, okay, fake it until you make it. God is doing something. But notice this. Verse 6, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but I found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Notice this. She waited too long. And now she's open and he's gone. He was there. The presence of him still remains, but he's now not there and she's seeking him. This is what it says. Though we have not found him, we must not give up. 
This is such an important verse. St. John of the Cross, one of the leaders of the Catholic Counter-Reformation, wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul, which is based on this portion of the Song of Solomon, where we're just seeking him and just saying, I know he's there, but I don't feel him. I don't see him. I don't, don't experience it. And you have this despair. Jesus, where are you? And I know I've come tonight to say this to people that are going through something where you just feel like, I'm finished. I am so desperately, that you understand the word desperation. You understand the word spent. Clor. Don't give up. That is the bottom line that if we keep seeking, we're going to find. Verse 7 says, The watchmen found me as they went about the city. They beat me they bruised me. The watchmen find her as she's going about the city. Now here's an interesting thing. In seeking Jesus, those who are supposed to guard us can sometimes hurt us. The watchmen are pastors. The watchmen are the people that are supposed to be in ministry, and instead of seeing someone who's hurting, they see someone who's a sinner. They see someone who can be condemned, they, and they hurt the people that are already hurting. And I want to say to you, because I, 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 know, I know this is true, because I, I, I know Levin DeVert has a calling to bring people back to, to God who've been hurt in church. And again, I'm not against any church, but I just find an interesting pattern that almost everybody I meet at Levin DeVert used to be part of another church. I won't say the name, but its initials are Enchia. And almost everybody is not in Living the Word because they found a better theology, they found better preaching. No, but they left the other church in hurt. That they were in church and then they were out of church because they got hurt in church and often by the leadership. Whether it's the domine, whether it is the elder or deacon or somebody, somebody in leadership position who they should have been able to trust instead hurt them. Shamed them instead of helping. This is the disgrace of the ministry is that people who are called by God to bring healing, to guard people, become the ones who tack. They will know we are Christians by our love. Do you realize that it does not say they will know we are Christians by our righteousness? They will know we are Christians by our sinlessness. They will know we are Christians by our holiness. All of those things are important. Truth, righteousness, holiness, very important. But if it's at the expense of love, it's a problem. And even in charismatic circles, if we exalt signs and wonders, faith, anything else, over love, we have missed it. The people out there are, are, are desperately needing to know that there's a God of love. 
is she says, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the wall. What is the veil? It's our innocence. And some people, they used to think that pastors were on a pedestal, and, they, and I'm on a stage at least anyway. And we put people on, on, on this you know, pedestal to say, wow, they must be great. I want you to know, I have a doctorate in Greek, master's in Hebrew, and a master's in Aramaic. Thank you very much. 25 years, well, almost 30 years now, I think about it, of ministry. But guess what? I still have to be an ordinary Christian. I still have to forgive. I still have to deal with, you know, wife, children, South Africa. Hey, I don't get a free ride in South Africa. I have worked for 25 years in South Africa in the township. It doesn't mean I've been absolved from, from no crime. I've had seven cars stolen. Seven cars stolen in my time in South Africa. Kenya did clua. I've been hijacked twice, once at gunpoint, once at knife point. We've had smashing ga grabs. We've had innumerable break-ins. We have had uh, someone burn down our house. Uh, I've been retrenched. I've had the entire South African experience. Thank you very much. And I don't get to be racist. I don't get to be bitter. I don't get to be pessimistic. I'm required by God to be able to say in front of everybody, God has a plan for this nation, and it's a great plan. He has a calling on this nation, and I'm part of helping it become who God has called it to be. And I'm a firm believer that we're well on our way to that. So verse 8, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. Notice, she has to escape the people that were supposed to protect her, and she goes to the daughters of Jerusalem. This is what I wanted to say. We can turn to those who also need the bridegroom to help us in our search. Sometimes you can't trust the leadership, I hate to say, but you need to find somebody to help you. And you look for people who, who you also know you are also wanting the bridegroom. You're also wanting Jesus. Verse 9, what is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? There's only one bridegroom, our true love. All others must be rejected. If I have to sum up the Song of Solomon, by the way, if you, you know, there, there's different versions of how to tell the story. I'm going to tell you my own is that there's not two characters, there are three. That you have the, of course, the the woman, and then the shepherd lover. Some people think the shepherd lover is in disguise for King Solomon. I say no. The message of the book is that she has to reject Solomon in favor of the humble shepherd lover. One of the messages of the book is that, that uh, others are rejected because this is the true one. This is the one that we want. And I want you to understand this. There's more than one Jesus out there. The true Jesus 
is a Jesus that loves. The true Jesus is a Jesus that restores. If the Jesus that you've met is a Jesus that condemns, it's not the real Jesus. It's not the true love. It's not the one you're looking for. And we've found too many times a copy, and even a copy of a copy, and not a genuine Jesus. You don't want to get married to somebody that you just heard about. You want to meet that person. You want to fall in love. I want this to be a time of us falling in love with Jesus. When, when they ask her, why should we seek him? Why, why do you jure us? Why do you, you, you make us swear to go with you? Who is your beloved? And she goes on from here to tell them all about how amazing he is. And here's the interesting thing. At the beginning of the next chapter, it says, they, they say to her, where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? That we may seek him with you. At the, as the daughters of Jerusalem are told of her beloved, they then ask to seek the bridegroom with her. What is your testimony of Jesus? Do you have a testimony that can allow people to say, I want what you have? If you have a broken marriage with Jesus, where he just abandoned you, nobody's going to want to be married to that man. I want to be able to say, I, never have, I have never been failed by Jesus. There are times I have failed him. There are times that, that he loved me in spite of my obstinance, in spite of my rebellion, in spite of my selfishness. He loved me anyway. He was good to me when I was not good in return, when I was not obedient, when I was not submissive. I want to be able to tell people, taste and see. I want to be able to tell people, man, if you want something, it's what I just said, if you, were, if you need a touch, come, I want to give you a touch because I know the touch. I don't want to tell you your life can be changed, but my life was never changed. Well, I want you to know my life was changed. That's why I can say to you, I know your life can be changed. I know that you can experience the love of Jesus in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. Because I have myself. A couple of years ago, Andure came to me, and she had a, a class at Tucky's where there were the, the lecturer, his goal was to kind of knock out the theological some, uh, suppositions that the students had, and, you know, and, and, and I guess the idea being that if you take away what they sort of have, they have to kind of wrestle with questions and come up with their own answers. But in the end, all he succeeded in doing was taking away what they already believed and then leaving them leaving them in a vacuum. You believe that God is good? Well, okay, how come there's war? How come there's famine? How come there's cancer? 
So she asked me to give her some answers, you know, some zingers to kind of put this guy in his place. And I had to say to her, first of all, you need to understand those are good questions. Those are really good questions. Even more specifically, not why is there war, why is there cancer, but why does my life suck? If God loves me, how come my life looks like this? Does this look like the life of a person that's blessed? And my point is this, I don't have an answer for why has this happened to you because I don't even have an answer for why has everything happened to me. But I can tell you this, I go to bed every night in the knowledge that God loves me and that there's no circumstance in my life that changes that fact. Because I experience God's love in the midst of pain and I can still experience God's love in the midst of pain. And it doesn't mean that the situation has to change. I know that God is God even though. If you were, right now, transported to the throne room of God, and you have this list of questions that you want answers to, I want to know why, I want to know how, I want to know when, I want to know where, and you say, okay, God, it's between you and me. I got, I got my list. And you come straight to his throne room. You march up to him. You know what your first words to God is going to be? <laughs> and you're just going to drop the list as you just become aware of his presence. It just somehow makes all of that stuff just unimportant. A perspective comes from an experience of God's love so that I don't have all the answers, but I know God. I don't know how this verse contradicts that verse and how to, I don't know. All I know is Jesus is real. His love is real. I've experienced it and you can experience it. I'm still learning stuff. But I want you to understand this. What we preach is not made up. In fact, I want to tell you something. If you're called to preach, don't preach anything that's only true because you heard it. If you haven't walked it out, if you have not experienced it, you have not won the right to preach it. As I say, I can't tell you that your life can be changed by Jesus if your life was never changed. But as we've been talking tonight about seeking the bridegroom, that there's a lover that wants us, he's told us he wants us, and we want him, and there's this gap. Understand this, they're going to find each other. They're going to consummate the relationship. There's going to be the unity. There's going to be the marriage. There's going to be the oneness. And so it is with you and me. We're going to get there. Get excited for it. Don't stop. Tell others that to join you in your search to find the true Jesus. Because when you do, it makes all the difference.